Welcome to another powerful message recorded live at Christ Encounter Ministries in Longobon. We trust that you'll be truly encouraged and blessed by this message. Hey family, welcome to Christ Encounter Ministries. It's uh, Pastor Carl here, and I want to thank you for joining us this Sunday for our live streaming of this very important message. If you are watching by YouTube, give us a thumbs up, say hi, let us see who you are, where you are, and what's going on. Share the link to uh, as many people that you can, let's get the word out. Let's, uh, let's be relevant in the kingdom of God. If this is the recording that you're watching, you're equally welcome. And if it is a sound recording, you are also welcome. So family, it is so exciting to have you all here joining with us today. And uh, today's message is in a moment... I'm not sure if it's part four or part five, to be honest with you, part five, in a moment, part five. So we have been studying a very interesting teaching, really on the end times and what the signs of the end times are, and how and if we can correlate what is going on in this, in this crazy world today with the signs in the Bible. And we've been on an incredible journey. It's been an incredible journey, a learning journey for me, and I'm sure many of you. And we've discussed, you know, uh, the mark of the beast and how the, 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 the monetary system is, in fact, designed to entrap people and which will ultimately cause people to take the mark of the beast because the scripture says you cannot trade. You can't buy, you can't sell unless you have the mark of the beast. This is, of course, in the tribulation time. We also learned about artificial intelligence and quantum computing and how this form of quantum computing is actually using supernatural technology or supernatural means in order to um, obtain data. And it's, I stand corrected, but it's about 12 million times more intelligent than humans. Crazy stuff. We learned in part two about the signs and about how Jesus elaborated on the signs. And we went deep in the scriptures and we took a really good look at what all those signs were. And we realized that many of those signs actually were not what we perceived them to be. You see, because the Greek is a very expressive language and there's so much more in it. And it is always very difficult for the translators to translate from the Greek to an, an English dialect and other dialects and really capture what the, the author, which is the Holy Spirit who moves on people, was trying to say. And so today we are going to teach on what is a controversial subject. And that is the rapture of the church. Now, I know many of you super religious theologians are saying, well, Pastor Carl, Rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, neither is the word Bible. So, can, <laughs> can we all just be real with each other here and understand that the word rapture, although not in the Bible, neither is Trinity for that fact. 
Neither is demons for that fact, but still we use those words because we know and understand what it means. So the word rapture is a word that describes an event. The Greek word is the word hapadzo. So when I refer to rapture, I will be referring to hapadzo. And so family, like I say, this is, this is a controversial subject. And it's, it confounds me and dumbfounds me how people can think that Things that are in the Bible are controversial. And there are many, many subjects that people create their own opinions and create their own theologies and create their own false gods, by the way, which is adultery, and have their own perceptions when they don't look at what the Bible says. And you know the Bible is what's going to judge us. Not what your great-great-great-grandma said and uh, brought down the line as traditions. Not what your pastor said, not what I'm saying, not your opinions, not your theologies. That's not going to judge you. The Word of God, the Bible, that's the law. That's what's going to judge you. It's like in the same way, if you're driving down the road and you're like, you know, I don't believe in the white line. I don't believe it. It's not, I don't believe that it's true. I don't believe that it's correct. I, I I have my own opinion about the white line. And so you drive over the white line because that's your belief and that's your opinion. And then a policeman stops. He says, hey, you're breaking the law. I said, well, I don't believe in the white line law. And he said, it doesn't matter what you believe. <laughs> You've broken the law. And so we have to know what is in the law book. We have to know what is in the scriptures. And quite frankly, if the scriptures contradicts what is your religious or traditional or personal belief, then you need to change your traditional beliefs. Because you can't question any of the Bible. You can't question any of the law. Because if you question the one thing in the Bible, what else are you questioning? So we need to have the childlike faith. Like Jesus said, only the children will receive the kingdom of God. They just believe what the Bible says is true. Believe that it is God-breathed. God uh, um, ordained, God moved scriptures. And it's designed to help you. If there's anything in the Bible that says, listen, don't do this. It's not like, don't do this, I'm going to judge you. No. God said, listen, I put heaven and earth as witnesses. I'm absolving myself on this. Now it's up to you. I'm going to give you the choice. Life or death. Blessings or curses. And God says, choose life. Choose life. Ezekiel 22 verse 30, he says, listen, why wicked man will you perish? I have no joy in seeing a wicked man perish. He says, turn, turn, turn from your wicked ways. Oh, why will you perish? So family, we need to know what is in the Bible. And if there's something that tells us what to do in the Bible, we need to obey it because that's for our own good. God's not this big judgmental principle that's going to see who's right and wrong and catch them up. No, we messed it up. He came and tried to fix things, and which he did through, through Jesus. But it's all a choice. Life and death is your choice. Blessings and curses is your choice. And he's given us the, the roots and the direction and the pathway to life. And that is to follow his words. He said this. He said, many will, 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 will say, Lord, Lord. But only those who do my Father's will will go to heaven. So it doesn't matter if you think you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you call you a Christian. And by the way, I've met, I've met so many people and it confounds me because they say that they are Christians, but they look nothing like Christ. What do you think 
Christian is, Christ in. If people can't see Christ in you, you know, we're all different flavors and different people and different quirks and personalities, but ultimately we need to have that thread of Jesus. People need to see Jesus in us. I've met Christians that are just downright rude, horrible, nasty, greedy, foul mouth. I tell you what, they're not Christians. I see no Christ in them. They're just saying, Lord, Lord, but they're not doing what the Word says. So today, if rapture goes against your theology, and I prove it in the Scriptures, change your theology. Change your mind. The Scripture says, be thee transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? Through the Scriptures. By the washing of the Word. You need to get brainwashed. Your filthy, stinking, thinking brain needs to be washed with the truth and the word of God. And you need to receive it like a child. And you say, yes, Lord, amen. That's it. No debates, no questions, nothing. So family, before I carry on in this trajectory, (laughs) let's just pray. After all, this is all about Jesus. I, I don't earn anything from this. I'm a businessman. I have lots of other responsibilities. But I do this for Jesus. Because I love him. And he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. So that is what I'm doing. And it's a love for you as well. Because the heart of God in any Christian doesn't want to see people going astray. So let's put Jesus in control. Let's let Jesus speak through me to you. The living word. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I humble myself today as a mere servant and nothing else. Not to glorify self because I know where I was when I met you. I was nothing. I was a rubbish. I had no hope. I had no future. You are everything in me that is good. So I can't take credit for nothing that's accomplished in my life. If it wasn't for you, I would have been dead, burning in hell right now. So be glorified, Spirit of God. In and through your humble servant, I clothe myself with humility. I bind and rebuke every spirit of pride, every spirit of self-promotion, every spirit of self-agenda. And I pray, Spirit of the living God, according to Matthew 10 verse 20, that you will speak through these lips of clay. Your living word, alive, sharper than two-edged swords. And that you will penetrate through the sound waves. There's no distance in prayer. And you will touch every person listening to this today, either live or by recording. And your word says, where two or more are gathered, there you are. So I pray, Spirit of the living God, for your presence to be tangible. There's no social distancing in the spirit. So spirit of the living God, for those who are hungry, manifest yourself to them today. And speak your word through me clearly, accurately, carried by your spirit and your anointing. In Jesus' mighty name, and if you believe that, say amen. Now I want you to declare after me in faith. Say this. So I declare... That my heart is receptive. That my spiritual ears are open. To receive only that. Which you Holy Spirit. Are saying to me today. Say this. 
So Spirit of the living God, speak to me. I am listening. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Already as we start, I can already feel the presence and the anointing of God. And I just hope and pray that you too, where you are, can also tap into that living water, tap into that presence of God. So family, friends, we have been studying what is called the Great Tribulation. This is a time where unimaginable horrors will be released upon the earth that we learnt in part four. Terrible, terrible horrors where God takes his hand off, his hand of grace, his hand of mercy, and the due judgment of a wicked and perverse world who prefers ungodliness, who prefers unholiness, who prefers the lust of their flesh and rejects Jesus, who have essentially made up their mind that they're not going to serve Jesus. And then the wages of their sin, which it says in Romans, is death. And the judgments that God's been holding back, it's poured out upon the wicked world. But the scripture says that God is a good father. And before I share with you God's rescue plan, I need to to just let you get a a little revelation of this first. Because this is so critical and so important in catching a revelation of what I'm going to share to you. The scripture says that God is love. The scripture says that love comes from God. So if God is love and love comes from God, the love that you feel for your children, for your loved ones, is an expression of God through you. The love that we have for our children is not foreign and disjointed and disconnected that God feels for his children because that is the love that we have. The only thing, his love for his children is far more magnified than the love that we feel. And we need to always look at life through that lens and always look at life as parents and people that love uh, those that are close to us. And we always think, you know what, from a position of love, would I do this to those that I love? And if you wouldn't do that to those that that you love, neither would God. And I know that there are so many varying opinions and descriptions of God, especially in the Old Testament. And there's a lot that goes into that. We've actually got to dig very deep and we've got to discuss certain things so that I can explain to you why God was that way. Why he had to be that way. But we need, I want us to just look at certain scriptures now in the New Testament So that we can just galvanize and say, look, there's things that you don't understand right now. There's things that you don't understand about God. But if it doesn't fit in this criteria, then that is not God. John 10 verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's one category. He says, I came that they may have and enjoy life overflowing, abundant life. We need to look through that lens. So let's have a look at some scriptures and let's see if we can just galvanize this and say, well, every other opinion that we might have about God, let's put that on us until we know the truth. Let's not make opinions about it. Let's look at the truth of the word and let's, where we know and where we can see, let's make our opinions about God then. 
So the scripture says this. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And the representation of His being. Wow. The Son. Who is that? Jesus. The Greek translation says that the exact representation, it says that Jesus is the identical and exact copy of His being. What is that? His very person. His very identity. His very personality. That when we look at Jesus, He is the exact identical cut out copy of God in his personality in his entirety John 5 verse 19 says very truly Jesus speaking I tell you the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does does the son So Jesus didn't do anything unless he first saw and got instructions from God. He was emulating and representing God in his entirety. John 14, sorry, John 12 verse 49. I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Wow. So essentially, if you want to get a true understanding of God and how He relates to people and how He relates to us and His personality, we look and study the life of Jesus. And you can do that from reading Matthew through the epistles. And you see how Jesus had incredible compassion for His precious creation. He loved them so much. He healed everyone that came to him. Even the leper that no one would come near to, he went and laid his hands on him. Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, who had seven demons according to the scripture, he restored her entirely. Not only did he restore her, this prostitute that had seven demons, that's that's deep, 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 deep in darkness. Not only did he restore her, but she was at the foot of the cross, With Mother, Mary, and John. The only three. And not only that, but Mary Magdalene, the previous prostitute with seven demons, preached the first gospel that Jesus was risen. And I know that must mess up some of your religious brains, but yes, women can preach the gospel. And we see how Jesus fed the thousands, how he multiplied 600 liters of water into the the best wine, which is valued at about 40 million rand. Do you know that? That he transformed the few fish and bread, not just like, listen, everybody, you have just what you need. No, this is when they ate and they were full and they were satisfied. There were still 12 baskets left over. When he blessed Peter's business in 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 the boat, he says, throw your nets. You didn't catch just enough. For that month, he blessed him so abundantly that those nets started to tear. And he pulled it in his boat, his boat started to sink. And he called his partner and their boat started to sink. And when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he saw how 
everybody was crying and how everybody was sad. The Bible says he wept out of compassion. He feels so dearly. He loves his children so very much. So much so that Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven, stripped himself of everything. He was mocked, beaten, they plucked out his beard. Ripped the flesh off his back. That you could see his organs. Carried his cross. And when he was lying there being nailed to the cross. He didn't strike them down. He didn't say, Lord, judge them. He didn't say, Lord, make them sick. Give them cancer to teach them a lesson. He said, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them for they don't know what they did. That's your God. That is your God. That is the picture of your God. Such a wonderful God. But family, He is a loving God, but He's a completely righteous judge. He has to be a righteous judge. Hitler needs to be judged. The pedophiles, the rapists, the murderers that have unrepented, the wicked people, they need to be judged. There cannot be a distortion. There cannot be leniency. There is evil and there is righteousness. And God has to be entirely righteous. Can you imagine if someone raped your mother? And he went before the court and the court said, well, you know, we'll give him a 500 rand fine. Ten days community service and let them let them get off. No, would that be a righteous judge? That would be an evil judge. And we in the natural, we want judges that are righteous. Even if we find ourselves before the courts, there must not be no leniency. We want righteous judges. And God is a righteous judge, not because he's bad, but because he is so good. And he can't. Judge Satan and all the, the evil in the world and not judge us. There is just has to be no swaying in that line. So family, so now that we know and have a little window of an understanding of God and how he loves his children, and we consider in scriptures the great tribulation where in the last days unimaginable horrors will be poured out. What are these horrors? These are the judgments of God. This is the wrath and the judgments of God. For what? For wickedness. For sin. And many people believe in the rapture, in the hapazza, but many people say, you know, well, you know, that's going to be halfway through, so we're going to have to go through the tribulation. We're going to have to go through the wrath of God. Now, hear me. There is the birth pains prior to the great tribulation. So as Christians, we are going to go through some stuff, but God is with us every step of the way. So we are going to go through troubles, but the tribulation is the outpouring of the judgment of, of God upon the wicked world. So how can you pour judgment out? How can a righteous judge and a loving father pour out judgment on innocent and righteous children? 
That makes no sense at all. Can you imagine if you were hijacked? And that hijack, hijacker takes you in the car, speeding down the highway, gun to your head, drives over a cyclist, kills a cyclist. There's a roadblock, the police catch, and you're like, okay, wow. But then you get thrown into prison with this hijacker. You find yourself before this righteous judge and you think, okay, well, this is a righteous judge, so I'm good. And the judge passes judgment on you and the hijacker. He says, because you were there, you were with the hijacker, you were in the same place, same time, 15 years, life sentence, Paulsmore prison, there you go. He spent 15 years with gangsters, rapists, murderers, the innocent person. Does that sound righteous? Does that sound logical? I don't think for a moment that God could be a righteous judge if he would do that to the innocent. The righteous judge will make sure that the innocent person is protected and only the criminal judged. Now, we learned that... God is holding back these judgments that should have come a long time ago. Not because he is slow, not because he is slack, but because of an intense love for his most precious creation. That is us, mankind. And we read this in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So family, God in His love and His greatest desire to save as many as children as possible, according to this scripture, is holding back the judgments. He is holding back the judgments to save as many children as possible. It is His will that no one should perish, but everyone come to repentance. So I need to ask you this question. If God has been holding back the judgments that should come upon this earth so that He could save people, would He get to the point where He would save people and then pour the judgment out upon them? That's like we're all on a ship that's sinking. And God makes... Every effort to get his, his children on the lifeboats. And then the rest of the passengers get on the lifeboats. So he's holding back judgment until we, we're saved. And then the boat sinks, but all the lifeboats have got holes in them. And not only that, but there's sharks that eat them all alive. God's not schizophrenic, family. He's not going to save all his children and hold back all of the judgments so that he could judge all his children. That's just stupid thinking. Now, I want to share with you an awesome scripture that really caught my attention. And before I do that, I just want to reiterate the fact that the original Greek is a very expressive language. And some words in the Greek have multiple meanings, pretty much most of them, all of them. And now the original translators, they never had Paul or Peter or James to say, you know what, actually in the Greek I meant this, so that is what it is. They had to sometimes look at certain scriptures and then they had to try and 
translated themselves and they had to choose in their opinion which was the correct word. And there's many circumstances in the Bible, many, where the translation is not 100% correct. And this scripture that I want to share with you is one of those scriptures. I'm 100% confident in the integrity of this scripture and what I'm going to share with you today because scripture says that God will confirm his word through signs and wonders. Mark 16 verse 20. So he will confirm his word through signs and wonders. Now many of you know I sleep at night with the audible Bible on. I've been doing this probably for about a year. And last night, in the t- in, during the evening, I woke up suddenly. No particular reason. Woke up, alert, awake. And this exact scripture, which I've been studying, is a scripture that was playing. Straight after that, I went back to sleep again. Now the odds of that happening, considering I listened to these audible Bible, which is 75 hours long. And for that passage of five seconds, the chances of that happening is like me winning the lottery. And this is not the first time, this is probably the fourth time that God has done this. And so although I'm 100% confident in what I'm going to share, you listen and let's make up our mind for ourselves. The scripture is Isaiah 57 verse 1. It reads this, the righteous perishes and no one takes it to heart. No one understands it. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And that's what caught my attention. How that the merciful and the righteous are taken away from the evil to come. And so now, very interesting, that first passage where it says the righteous perishes. That never made sense to me. Because first it says the righteous perishes and then the righteous is taken away. So that doesn't make sense. So that word perishing is the word albad, which means, listen to this, perish or vanish. Wow. That word means perish or vanish. This blew me away. Then it says, with no man takes it to heart, means nobody is able to understand or comprehend it. Now, who, are, who is he talking to? Who cannot understand it? Who cannot comprehend it? Obviously, those people that are watching the righteous who are perishing or vanishing. They look at the righteous perishing or vanishing, we'll keep it there for now, and it doesn't make sense to them. The scripture continues to say, that merciful men are taken away. While no one considers and the righteous, the same righteous we were speaking about, is taken away from the evil to come. So let's break that down. The merciful who are taken away talks about the kind and devout, the devoted, or those who are kind and devoted to God. They are taken away. What does the word taken away mean? It is the word al-saf. It means to gather, to collect, to assemble, 
I like this one. To be gathered to one's father. That's what it says. Or to be removed. The phrase that says no one considers again talks about having no logical, intellectual understanding of these events. Of what events? Of the righteous perishing or vanishing. So we can see that that same word righteous, those people are taken away and the merciful people are taken away and no one understands both these circumstances. So it must mean vanish because they can't perish and then be taken away. So the scripture says something like this. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Isaiah 57 verse 1, not in the KJB um, version or the NKJ version, but the KJB version, the Carl John Besaidenot version. <laughs> the scripture paraphrase says this. Get this. This is going to blow your mind. The righteous men and women of God are vanishing. And nobody left behind can make any sense of it. Only the devoted and the righteous men and women of God are gathered up. And withdrawn to assemble unto the Father and taken away from the evil to come. And those left behind will not have any intellectual or logical explanation of it. Wow! Isn't that awesome? So, what is this vanishing? What is this gathering up? The assembly of God's devoted and righteous children to save them from this great evil to come? And that great evil to come talks about great, extraordinary misery, tribulation. Not just normal stuff, but great tribulation. So let's have a look. We studied in part two of In a Moment, where Jesus shared the signs privately with his disciples. And he went through all of the signs and he's talking to them intently about his coming and talking about the end of the ages. So we continue in that same context, still on Matthew 24. And we are on Matthew 24, verse 37. And he talks about his first coming. And then we, then we go down to verse 40. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking, talking about his coming. Two men will be in the field. One taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Now in Luke's account, you see that the disciples, all of them had the same account from their point of view or what they heard of the, of the same circumstances. So it's, it's duplications, but from different perspectives. Just like I can preach or people can preach a word to a crowd and different people receive different things. In the same way, these different disciples picked up different things. In the accounts of Luke 17 verse 34, Luke confirms it's a global event. Because in the first circumstance with Matthew, Jesus is saying people are in the field. People are working. In Luke he says, on that night, two will be in the bed. One will be taken, the other one left. So this is a global event. It is night in one part of the earth. It is day in the other part of the earth. And in a moment, people just disappear. 
they literally vanish. There is no indication, there is no specific event. The people that were working at the mill didn't stop and like, hey, well, hang on a second, what's that? Just at that moment, vanished. Now, we know that this is not the coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. Because at the end of the tribulation, the Bible says every eye will see it. It will be like lightning from the east to the west. It will be such a dramatic entrance of the Lion of Judah coming back to defeat the armies of the Antichrist surrounding Israel in the, in the valley of Megiddo. And it is this instance where Jesus brings the saints down. So obviously this other coming he is gathering. So it's not the same event. It wouldn't make sense if he gathers us to bring us straight back down again. So Jesus continued in the scripture. And he said that we need to make very, very sure, very, very careful. Because like a thief in the night comes. In a moment, this could happen. And we've all learned in the moment, in the moment, in the past teachings, those signs are 100% in their entirety fulfilled. Jesus could come, if you see me disappear, you're in trouble. <laughs> because it could happen at any moment. That's how serious it is. And Jesus says we need to be so careful. We need to be so assured. He said, blessed are those who have been ready, who have been prepared, who have been waiting, watching for the thief, who have been ready for the coming. But those who are not will suffer severe consequences. So how should we live? How should we conduct ourselves? What does the law say? How are you going to be judged? What is going to be your qualifying factor whether you go with Jesus in the hapadzo, in the rapture, and also if you're going to go to heaven for that fact. Because it makes sense, the ones that he would take to heaven is the ones he would take in the hapadzo, in the rapture, right? So this is not just the qualification for the rapture, this is the qualification for salvation. 2 Peter 3 verse 11, he's talking about the last days and the coming of the Lord. He says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, last days, what kind of people should you be? How should we as the church conduct ourselves in anticipation of the coming of Christ? Would you like to know? I want to know. I want to be ready. He says this in verse 14. Sorry. He continues to say, you should live holy and godly lives. He continues in verse 14 and he elaborates, just in case you didn't get that part. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. There should be nothing that you can be blamed for. You should be not be engaging in sin. You should not be doing anything that the, the, the law, that the Bible is telling you not to do. And we need to think 
for ourselves. We need to think. We need to weigh in the balance. You need to consider this. If you are drunk or high on drugs or even prescription drugs and that moment comes, where do you think you will be? Will you be left behind? And I tell you, you don't want to be left behind. You do not want to be left behind. And if that's a qualification for being raptured, what about salvation? What about if you're living in fornication? That's sex outside of marriage. Or adultery. Or what about if you were busy watching porn? Or what about if you're watching some blasphemous, ungodly movie and Jesus comes? Where do you think you're going to be? You're going to stay behind. That's where you're going to be. What if you are in offense, bitterness, unforgiveness, and Jesus comes? Where do you think you're going to be? You're going to stay behind. So we need to make every effort for our own good to be spotless. That's what the scripture says. Not just spotless, blameless. And not just blameless, at peace with God. What does that mean? Repentance. Repentance. Let's now look at the rapture. And I hope you don't mind me using the word rapture. Or hapadzo. Sorry, I just get indignant when people come with these stupid arguments that detracts people from the truth. And prevents people from learning the truth over foolish, stupid arguments. So we're going to look at the rapture (laughs) a little bit more in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14. Sorry, I'm a bit of a cheeky pastor. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the unqualified. People all think that pastors need to fit in the mold, and they do. The mold of holiness, spotless, blameless, blamelessness. But still, you look at the life of John. He ate locusts. He was kind of a crazy dude. So, forgive me if I'm leaning a little bit on the John side. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15. Get this in your Bible. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. The Bible is so powerful and it is so rich when you dig into it for we say this to you by the word of the lord and we can so easily read over that that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the lord himself jesus christ will descend from heaven with a shout With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead, in the clouds. Why? To meet the Lord in the air. This scripture is so loaded. When he says, he's writing to the the church of Thessalonia by the word of God. He's saying, listen, this is direct revelatory word of God. 
I haven't heard this from somewhere. I haven't sucked this out of my thumb. I heard this from God. And he says, those who are alive and remain. What does that mean? It doesn't mean just the breathing alive. That alive, get this, in the original Greek means living water. Wow. The vibrant. It says this, the not dead and not lifeless. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of churches these days, amen? Literally, those who are on fire for Jesus. Those are the ones, the alive, the vibrant, on fire, living water. What is the living water? Spirit-filled, out of your belly will flow, living water. And you might say, well, Pastor Carl, won't all Christians go, in inverted commas? No, unfortunately not. Only the Christians who have been preparing and waiting for the bridegroom. Matthew 25 talks about the ten virgins. Who are the virgins? The church. He says of the church, of the ten virgins, there was five wise virgins. Why were they wise? Their lamps were full of oil. What is the oil representing? The living water, the Holy Spirit. And the other five virgins, their lamps were half full. And the scripture says they were waiting for the bridegroom. And the hour came and the bridegroom came and he said, come. And the five virgins who were living their lives, as the word said, to be spotless, to be holy, to be blameless, repenting before God. They were ready. And when he came, they went, the spotless bride of Christ, to meet with the groom. And the door was closed. And the five foolish virgins who were not so on fire, they didn't have the living water, they were kind of just chilling and complacent. They came and they said, Lord, Lord, what about us? He makes this statement, depart from me, for I do not know you. Do you know what that word know means? It talks about an intimate, personal, he says, you know what? Maybe I'm your, your friend on social media. I was going to say pen pal, but most of you won't even get what that is. So maybe I'm your, your social media friend, or maybe I'm your date that you flirt with now and then, but I'm not your husband. I don't know you. And the marriage feast, the one who I marry with, is my bride. I know her. I have relations with her, intimate, personal relations. Didn't Jesus say in Revelations 3 verse 16, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. That's what the original translation means. So no family, not the whole church will go. Many will stay behind. Many will stay behind. But I believe that we are going in Jesus' name. Let's continue in that same passage of Scripture that we were talking about. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15. Said that that those who are alive and remain. What does the word remain mean? The word remain means those who have endured. Those who have overcome. 
Those who are faithful. Jesus says, when I come, will I find those who have faith? Are you overcoming your circumstances with your faith? Or is your circumstances overcoming you? Are you enduring? Are you close to Jesus? Are you standing strong in your faith? Are you vibrant and standing strong in your faith? Those are the ones, that's the category. It says, those will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And later Paul says, the dead shall rise in Christ first. So what is that? So those will not precede, they will not go before those who have fallen asleep, and the dead will rise first. So it's the same thing. Those dead that will rise first, that we will not precede, is the ones who are asleep. That word asleep talks about the dead. So those who have already died, those who have overcome, are first in line for this rapture, the Harpazo event. And let's see what happens. For the Lord himself will, will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an, of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. That word shout is the word Kalyuma. That describes an order, a command. It says a stimulating cry when a military commander or a ship's captain calls his troops into action, calls his troops to attention. And the scripture says, then the dead will rise first. And those who are alive and overcome and remain the living water, alive, vibrant church who has remained faithful will be caught up that's the word, caught up, harpazo, raptured together with the dead saints and meet with Jesus Christ in the clouds and we are taken away to safety. Now let's look at another scripture that's just going to help understand this and just galvanize this in family. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. God is a supernatural God. He created everything. We shouldn't try to wrap our natural brain around the supernatural things. We wrap our faith brain around supernatural things. And we believe what the Bible says. Because if you don't have belief in it, you don't have faith in it, you don't qualify for it. Amen? So we look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 15. Now I say, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot, this cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption, which is this, inherit incorruption. Behold, listen to this. I'm about to blow you away. I'm going to tell you something so incredible. That's what the behold is. I tell you a mystery. This is a faith thing. Don't wrap your natural brain. Believe what the word says. He says this. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed. In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. For the last trumpet that we heard. Where Jesus shouts the voice of an archangel. Then the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we who are alive shall be changed. 
For this, in, for this corruptible, this flesh will put on incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality. That scripture is so loaded. Again, Paul paraphr- I'm going to paraphrase this for you. Paul is saying, our fleshly bodies... Our corruptible fleshly bodies are not designed to function in the heavenly realms. If you read the scriptures prior to that, very interesting. He talks about heavenly beings and they have heavenly bodies and and all of these things. And and then he, he ends this. He says, listen, our bodies are not right. They are not ready. Our bodies are decaying. They are corrupting bodies. They are, they are mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies cannot become immortal or, or live in an immortal realm and an incorruption realm unless we change. That word change is the word al-las, so meaning to change, one meaning. The other meaning is to exchange one for another, exchange corruption Exchange immorality for incorruption and immoral, uh, immortality. And it says that this will happen in the twinkling of an eye. We're not going to wait first and, okay, is the last dead guy gone? Okay, right. Now, no. They're going to go first and we're going to come after them, but it's in the twinkling of an eye. What does that word mean in the Greek? As you walk in a room... And the light shines and twinkles in your eye. It's not a twitch or a, a wink. It's a, that twinkle in your eye. That's the word. In a twinkling of an eye, we will all be instantaneously transformed. The dead will get immortality. Bodies. We will exchange our bodies for immortal, heavenly bodies. And get this. That word incorruptible, these bodies, refers to undecaying. So we're not going to get old. Isn't that cool? And it says it's a body of perpetual, unending, immortal existence. So there's no plastic surgeons in heaven. (laughs) So family, now after saying this, I need to go a little bit deeper in this. You need to hear me. The only way for man to get this body the only way for man to be raptured and to be going to heaven is through Jesus. As I've said before, it's not an arrogant statement. It's, a, it's, it's just fact. It's just a technical fact. Because Jesus was the only one that reconciled man as a man unto God as God. So we can only, as these sinning, corruptible people, we can only enter through Jesus, Jesus in us, into heaven before God. That is the only way. We, we, we cannot, no other way. Only by being born again, when the Holy Spirit comes inside you and you become born again, it's the only way that you can go into the Holy of Holies. Our, our, our sin and our bodies, and, and we just will not manage. So the dilemma is, what about all of the people before Jesus Christ? What about Adam and Eve? 
They couldn't get born again. What about Noah? What about Jeremiah, Ezekiel? What about David who slew Goliath? What about Abraham who's the father of our faith? Abraham is one of one of the most important prophets because that's where our lineage comes from, through Abraham. We follow the lineage of Abraham to Jesus. That's the master plan. And so we see in Scripture, Luke 16, it is the account of Lazarus, who is the rich man, and the beggar. And the beggar used to sit at the gates, and the, and the rich greedy man never gave anything, and the sores licked, the, the dog licked his sores. <laughs> and eventually, Lazarus died, and the poor beggar died. And the scripture says, you must read it in Luke 16, that this greedy rich man was in torment in hell. He had a body. He could feel pain. He remembered his family. He looked across. He's in hell and he looked across and there was a deep chasm. And right next to that, there was the poor man. And he was walking with Abraham. And he said to, to them, please just dip your water, your finger in and just give me a drop of water on my, on my tongue. So he was, although he was a spiritual being, he had a spiritual body. And that place where Abraham was and all of the, and, and that place is called Abraham's bosom. And that's the place where Noah and Adam and Eve and David and all of them were kept. So all of these people had to go to hell. And God, through a loophole, sent them to hell, but protected through a paradise in hell. And after Jesus died and went to hell for three days and three nights, he was restored back to power. He took the keys back from Satan. Now listen to this. I'm ending with this. Then Jesus went and he preached the gospel to all of the people in Abraham's bosom. He went and preached the gospel to Adam, to Eve, to David, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel. To all of those prophets, Jesus went and he preached the gospel and he got them all born again. And then as they were born again and Jesus rose, they all rose. They got those immortal bodies and on their way to heaven, they stopped over in Jerusalem for a while and, and said hello and goodbye. And then they were raptured. You might say, wow, Pastor Cole, now you've really, really lost the plot. Can you back that up with Scripture? And you should always make sure that everything is backed up with Scripture. And I'm so glad you asked that question because absolutely I can. So hold on to your seats. This is going to blow you away. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you God. Wow. He suffered on behalf of us. 
the totally righteous suffered for the unrighteous to bring you God. He was put to death in the body, so he died, but made alive in the spirit. After three days and three nights, the Holy Spirit entered Jesus in the pit of hell. While all those demons and Satan himself thought they'd won. They were torturing him. Doing unimaginable things to him. They thought they had won. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit went. When the price was paid, when all the sin was paid, when Jesus had paid, when the righteous had paid the price for all sin, the Holy Spirit came in in the twinkling of an eye, he entered in Jesus. Oh, I can't wait to see that one day when I go to heaven. That's one of the things. And all of a sudden, you can imagine Jesus, the Lion of Judah, rising, glowing, demons running, fleeing. And the Bible says that he took Satan by the scruff of his neck and he made a public spectacle of him. He took the keys back which he stole from Adam and Eve and hijacked the earth and brought the corruption that we see today, not the Eden that we're supposed to have. And listen to the rest of the scripture. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Matthew 27 verse 52. I know this is a long message, family. I'm almost there. Just bear with me. And the tombs were broken. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Wow. They came out of the tombs when after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That word many is the word polos in the Greek. A great amount of people. So after the resurrection of Jesus, the tombs opened and all of these people with the immortal bodies came up. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 talks about imprisoned spirits. That properly interpreted means spirits or souls in isolation or in holding, being guarded, not punishment. That's what the scripture means. Now this is going to blow you away. That word which says Jesus made, made proclamation to them. Do you know what that word proclamation means? It's the Greek word so. This is directly from the text. To preach the gospel of the divine truth. Wow! Isn't that amazing? So everything that I'm preaching to you today has already happened. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? But now family, I need to ask you this question. If all of these people, if Abraham had to be reborn to go to heaven, if he had to remain in hell, although protected in hell, and he had to be born again, how much more you? It doesn't matter what you can do. It's, there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Nothing. Because it's only through Jesus. There is no other way. And God has done everything to make a way for us. So I need to ask you this question. Are you born again? 
And you might say, well, Pastor Cole, I don't really agree with it. Well, then you don't agree with the Bible because Nicodemus, who was the church, came to Jesus and Jesus said, Nicodemus, he said to the church, unless you're born again, you're not going to enter the kingdom of of heaven. And he says, well, I'm I'm an old man. What do I go up my mother's womb? Carnality? No, Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you, unless you're born again, you're not going to see heaven. And he was telling him from a position of love. And he says it's a spiritual rebirth. There's nothing that you can do. Only by virtue of Jesus in you do you qualify to be in the presence of God. There is no other way. Only Jesus reconciled with God. And God has made it so easy. The first step that gives you the right to become a child of God is believing in Jesus Saying with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. Believing that he rose from the dead. And that's an historical fact. And the scripture says you will be saved. And then you live a life of repentance. You do everything in your ability. And mainly God's ability to live a holy life. Will you mess up? Absolutely you'll mess up. But you never think it's okay. You mess up. You say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. And slowly you grow and change. And many of you think, ah, man, I kind of like my sinful life. I don't really want to give it up. That was me. I was living in intense sin. One of the biggest things for me was, I don't think I can give this up. But I was so deceived. Because nothing can compare to this relationship with Jesus I have and I want you to have that I don't want to see you go to hell Jesus doesn't want to see you go to hell and hell is a real place of unimaginable horrors and if or at least go in the rapture if that comes before we had to die so how do you get born again declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord Believe in your heart he was raised from the dead. Repent from your sins and you will be saved. And then the journey starts. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let's do this thing together. Let's be assured of your salvation. Know that you have made peace with God. Know that if you are to die, you will go to heaven. Does that mean you can carry on sinning? No. That is another seducing spirit, incorrect doctrine. There's doctrines going around saying that even if you're born again, you can't lose your salvation. That's a lie. Hebrews 10 verse 26 says that you, if you continue deliberately sinning without repenting, we have received the knowledge of the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. After having born again, if you continue to keep on sinning, there is no more sacrifice for you. Jesus can't go and die on the cross again for you. You can't be born again again. The scripture says that you have defiled the blood of Jesus. You have trampled upon the Son, Jesus. The scripture says that you have offended the Spirit of grace. Thinking that you can continue sinning is not a grace doctrine. It's an offensive grace to the Spirit of grace. Read it yourself. 
That is a seducing doctrine of demons. Wanting you to think it's okay to sin. So you keep on sinning. And then you, how are you going to know when, you, when, you've, when you've crossed the line according to that scripture? How do you know which is the sin where you've, after being born again, and they're saying it's okay to sin. How do you know which sin is it that when you reach that line and you cross that line, that all you can look forward to is hell? That's what the scripture says. All you can look, how do you know? How can a pastor say, carry on sinning, when that scripture says, listen, if you carry on sinning, you're going to go to hell. Nothing's going to save you. So, child of God, let's pray together. Let's get serious with God. The Bible says when you become born again, He rescues you, pulls you out of this kingdom of darkness and translates into His will. And he places a seal on you. And it's not a seal that protects you. It's actually a seal that says that you're mine. So if you're serious about God, or if you strayed a bit, pray this prayer with me. Mean it with all your heart. And God will come into your life, and He will change and transform you, as He did with me. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Declare boldly. And remember, you are speaking to God. So, Father, I come to you in this day and I humble myself. I humble my theology. I humble my prideful thinking. And I obey your word. And I ask you, Jesus, save me. Come into my life. Come into my heart, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I'm crying out to you, Jesus. Please forgive me for my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me white as snow. Give me a fresh start. A new beginning as a child of God. I declare that Jesus Christ, I make you my Lord. I believe that you died and you rose again and I ask you to take me by the hand to lead me through life help me not to be deceived Lord help me to follow you help me to repent thank you Jesus I believe that I am now saved. And by your help and your grace, and with my effort, I will live a holy and blameless life. In Jesus' name. Family, if you've prayed that prayer, and this is maybe a recording that you've watched later, 
why don't you please just give a thumbs up or hands or just something. We really love to know that we're making a difference in your lives. That is the only reason to serve Jesus, to make a difference in your life. Encourage us. Help us to know that we are impacting your life through Jesus in us. Put comments on the the messages. Share them so that more people can get access to it. And so family, that's it for today. Join us on Wednesday for the Word and the Worship on Wednesday. We'll be teaching on faith. And until we meet again, this is Pastor Carl from Christ Encounter Ministries. On behalf of myself and the rest of the awesome team, we look forward to seeing you guys again next week. We trust that you are truly blessed and encouraged by this message. If you would like to find out more about Christ Encounter Ministries in Longabon, please feel free to check out our website at ChristEncounter.co.za.